Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Today we're going to be talking about one facet of investment planning, which is something that involves most people. In fact, in most cases, you're going to find that the largest purchase that anyone does during the course of their life is buying a home. And there's a lot of things that go into doing it, whether it's buying a home or selling a home. And with that, I bring in today's guest. My guest is Dave Carey. Dave, thank you very much for joining me. Mike, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Please tell me a little bit about yourself and your company and uh, tell me about yourself. Sure. So, as Mike said, my name is Dave Carey and I work for a company called Solomon Realty. We're based out of Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. We're, uh, we're more of like a mom and pop real estate shop, not like one of the bigger companies. Uh, we have a more tight knit group of people that work together to help people buy and sell homes. Um, yeah, the gist is we work mainly in the Philadelphia, Bucks County, Montgomery area, and um, yeah, like I said, just uh, listings and buying agents, things like that. Good, good, good. Uh, bet you keep them busy lately, huh? Yes, this year has been uh, unprecedented. It's been a little bit ridiculous this year. Yeah, to be well, you know, it's funny you say that because I've spoken to so many people, so many of my clients looking to either buy a house, which it's tougher on them than the people selling a house. And I just yesterday was talking to someone who they had five buyers within 24 hours of listing and all of them are offering above asking price. Yeah, correct. That's almost every deal I see today. Um, it's been madness. Um, every listing I put up will get a minimum from one to three offers, regardless of list price, whether we go over what I believe the value is, over appraised value. It's, like I said, it's unprecedented. I, I had a listing once about a month ago. I, I ended up getting 12 offers on day one. We went $50,000 over the next highest appraisal and ended, wow. up, ended up selling it for $45,000 over appraised value. The buyer had to make up the difference. And it seems insane, but mainly the reason is because obviously low inventory coupled with historically low interest rates are making money cheaper than ever. So you have more buying power. Correct. So what that means is even though you're paying $35,000, $40,000 over the value of the home, your payment is actually the same as it would have been with traditional mortgage rates in the fours or fives. Um, right now we're seeing high twos, which is just, you know, you never seen it before. So it's kind of, it makes sense the reason the market is the way it is and sellers are reaping the benefits and buyers are struggling to find homes, but you know, when they do, they're getting in at a reasonable mortgage payment still. Yeah, well, the other thing that we're finding, um, and, and this has a lot to do with COVID, what have, you, what have your observations been with COVID? So for COVID, there's a couple things that come to play. One of the things I believe that part of the reason interest rates are so low is because it was you know, a way to help stimulate the market. And people correct, so buy absolutely correct. Without the low interest rates, people would have the fear of not buying. Fear is huge when it comes to buying. When people are scared, they don't buy. When people are comfortable, they buy. Right. So the low interest rates helps with that. Um, the other thing that I, my personal opinion, what I saw for COVID is because they had the shutdown and we weren't allowed to sell real estate for several weeks, when it came back, I felt like people, a lot of my clients in particular, had to make a move immediately. They are, are unsure about another shutdown or what's going to come, uh, what's going to happen next. So they thought to themselves, I may have a month. I got to buy a house today. So once real estate opened back up and I was able to show houses again, I, I mean, every one of my clients ended up buying in, this, in about a six-week span. They all just bought, 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 capitalized on low interest rates, especially the people who have 
jobs uh, in healthcare or jobs that aren't really affected by COVID that they have job security. So those are right. people that, in particular that really capitalize on um, buying. So that's the main thing that I think COVID, um, how, how COVID affected the market, in my opinion. Well, one of the things that, that I'm hearing, feeling, seeing is with COVID, uh, we've had somewhat of a tectonic shift and a wake up that a lot of people are now finding that they can work remotely yes. and companies are recognizing that they can work remotely and therefore don't need to have to work at the office. Yeah, yeah that, that's unbelievably true. I'm seeing a max exodus from places like New York City and Philadelphia into right. the suburbs. So more, the more rural areas, um, the, the suburbs in general have been in insanity. Uh, I have a couple of listings in, in the city that aren't selling as quickly, um, mainly the downtown areas because right. of you know several different factors, COVID being one of them, stores shutting down being another one of them, um, the state of Philadelphia being another one of them. Um, but out in the burbs, which is where I do the majority of my work, it's just, it's just chaos. So COVID basically forced companies to either A, go remotely, right. or um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, it kind of forced their hand to be more telecommunicative. So they right. can work from home, they can work remotely. People can work in upstate Pennsylvania, work from wherever. So Absolutely. there really is no benefit to being in, not no benefit, but there's less of a benefit to being in the city where you have to go to work all the time. So yeah, I'm seeing a huge shift from inner city to suburbs and even more rural areas. Well, I could see that too with Philadelphia because Philadelphia has a wage tax of roughly four and a quarter, four and a half percent. Mm -hmm. And if you live outside the city and work in the city, you still have to pay the wage tax. But if you live outside the city and can work remotely, you're saving over 3% tax, which is effectively a raise. Absolutely. I had one client one time who literally bought a house in the suburbs just to make it his primary residence, and he was able to save the 4%. He makes half a million dollars a year. So his savings from moving to the outside the city paid for the house. So essentially he was able to get a house for free if you look at it that way. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's yeah, a brilliant. wonderful thing. Do you deal only in uh, residential real estate? I focus mainly on residential real estate, okay. yes. My company, Salmon Realty, does do residential and commercial. I do some commercial here and there, but I, my sweet spot is definitely residential for sure. Okay. Because I could see, uh, and this is looking at it from the outside, looking in from mm -hmm. an economic perspective, mm -hmm. that <clears throat> I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on corporate real estate. I'm terrified for commercial real estate. The brick and mortar establishments, places that don't need to be used as often, uh, I'm not seeing them go as, as quickly. I'm, I'm personally worried for people who focus most of their energy on commercial because because of this shift to telecommunicative uh, type business, it, you know, all these companies are now going online and working from home. There's no need, not as much of a need for office space or for all the brick and mortar joints. So it's just, it's something that definitely worries me for sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. That could also, the, the whole COVID thing has created tectonic shifts across the entire economy. And ironically, uh, I was standing in line voting. And the person I was talking to turns out that he is the plant manager of a company that manufactures office furniture. Mm. And we got into conversation. I said, gee, sounds to me like you should be putting your resume out there because there's going to be a surplus of office furniture. So I, I see this tectonic shift. And for companies who own the real estate and rent it out, I could see that being a problem coming up. And not immediately because if corporate real estate is usually five-year leases and if they're only one year into a five-year yes. lease, 
these things are going to start falling off absolutely in a few years yeah i couldn't agree more with you and and part of me the optimist in me says that you know this is temporary and covid will eventually go away sure. once, once we're all vaccinated and all that good stuff but the other side of me the realistic side of me says once these companies have the ability to be remote we may never go back to going to the office like we used to exactly we may never see that again in our lifetime exactly Exactly. So that that's just from an economic perspective. It's just creating a tremendous amount of shifts mm -hmm. in a lot of different directions. And it's very interesting. So um, what do you see happening in the um, the, the private real or the personal or the, the individual real estate market, do you see a lot of builders building more because there's a greater demand? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We are in a very low inventory market, which is the main reason for the crazy seller's market that we're in. Um, so obviously COVID did shut down some buildings, so it has some delays. But now that it's back open, people are buying up land, they're building, they're developing, they're building these um, uh, cluster buildings, so like uh, townhomes and condos, right. things like that. Just because there are so many more buyers and sellers, you, the only way to increase inventory is to build it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Builders love that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're making lots of money. Their builders are loving yes, that. The are. problem <laughs> is, you know, you look at an area in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and, you know, this is obviously one of the oldest cities in the country, uh, the townships are delighted to be able to have builders come in because they make money on permits and taxes and all kinds of things, but they're not building any more roads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's making it even harder, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you got to be careful with that. Certain neighborhoods only allow for certain zonings because of the demographic that it brings. So when you are in an area that only allows for single family building, um, they will only get a certain percentage of the increased tax uh, real estate tax. But when you're in an area that allows for cluster zoning, I mean, you build one 70 per building condo, the amount of taxes that brings to your neighborhood compared to how much actually you have to spend on the road maintenance is it's it's. It's, it's a great investment on the township's part, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So how much has, you referenced earlier, that the values of real estate are going up dramatically? You know, selling houses for 45000 And by mm -hmm. the way, I concur because, you know, I help people when they're thinking about the mortgage, I take a look at what their payment would be, and you're right. Going from 4% to 3% is basically allowing them to buy 12% more house. Yep. So... It, it's absolutely helping. So year over year, are there statistics as to how much the value of housing, the median housing has gone up? Absolutely. So it depends on the area, but the, the, the number I use, which is the reg, uh, general number for most areas, is 2%. So real estate goes up on average about 2%. Oh, okay. That's on average. Oh, on average. Right, on right, average. right, right. And uh, I'm, I'm going to forget the number, but I read a stat this year that property values increased something about 17% in June alone this year. <laughs> something insane like that. So yeah, we have never, we haven't seen spikes like this in the history of real estate. Wow. Not, not, I'm not talking, oh, I'm talking the history of real estate. We've never seen such an insanely incre insane increase in value in one year. It's, it's been unprecedented. So I can't see this lasting forever. It's, it's got to fly now. It's got to. So is there any particular um, type of housing that has had the greatest demand? Is it the single family homes? Is it the cluster homes like the townhouses? What has been the highest demand? I wouldn't. I don't know if I have quite an answer for that. I don't think I've seen one versus the other. Um, maybe townhomes more only because they're just slightly more affordable. And right. anything that's more affordable goes quicker because the, the uh, margin of eligible buyers is, is greater. So you just have more people that can afford those homes. Um, I think it's more of a location thing that I've seen. Uh, again, the suburbs are definitely growing way faster than this, the inner cities. Yeah, I'm not surprised. What about from a demographic perspective? Is there? Are you finding that... 
uh, the younger generation, the millennials, so to speak, the people in their 20s, are now coming out and buying? Or are they still not? Is there a demographic shift or, or, or not really? So I'm going to have conflicting answers on that. I personally, because I am a millennial, would say that a lot of my people my age and younger than me, a lot of my clients are young and buying. That might be specifically because that's my demographic. That's the, mm -hmm. who I associate most with because right. I did, I have read studies that millennials are actually buying later in life compared to their, you know, right. the, the previous generation. So right. I don't really, my personal experience is different from what I've read. So it's hard to, it's hard to give a concrete answer on that one. Well, I got to imagine too that it, Depends on just like location, 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 sure. they say. I imagine it varies from one area to another. Doubt, yeah. And the Philadelphia market, nation, relative to nationwide, is this a very good market for real estate, for buying and selling? Is it a hot market? I know there's pockets in the country that are better or worse. What's the Philadelphia market like? Uh, the Philadelphia market is fantastic. Uh, I can't tell you how many people, mainly in the beginning of COVID, called me from New York City that they want to come down to Philadelphia where it's a little bit more affordable. Sure. Uh, if you want to buy investments, it's a good place. Um, I don't know if you ever heard the Bigger Pockets podcast. They, they push Philadelphia and Philadelphia suburbs a lot. Really? Um, yeah, it's a great area to buy for many different reasons. One being that homes are still affordable in certain areas. Um, where certain areas, again, like people who call me from Manhattan, they can't afford to buy anything there. So. Well, it's because the Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago and the Giants haven't won forever. Is yep, that what it is? In. <laughs> <laughs> During break, we were talking about, you know, we had a rally in the real estate market in like 2005, six and seven, and now we're having a rally in the real estate market today. Are they the same, different? What do you think? So I personally do not believe they are the same. Um, the reason we had the crash of 08 was mainly because of bad loans and people overspending um, and increased values. So a lot of people ask me that if they, th if they believe we're heading in that direction, and I do not believe we are. I'm no expert. I'm not, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but what I'm seeing is that the increased values are coming mainly from low interest rates. So they're not risky loans. They're not bad loans. There's still a lot of government overlays to make sure that we're not giving up bad loans to people who don't, um, aren't qualified for them, but the fixed rates, not arms or just for rate mortgage at a very low interest rate makes a lower payment to me does not equal default. It equals security and a lower payment than if we were to have the four and a half percent interest rate. So personally, I believe that locking in at that historically low interest rate is going to make people uh, give them an easier time making their mortgage payment and not going into default. So no, I, I don't see it trending the same way. I see values increasing for a different reason. Another reason would be the low inventory. Um, of course. It's, it's just basic, basic economics. When you have low inventory, supply and demand means that you, values going to go up. It's simple as that. Well, the other thing, too, is that going back to when you're selling the house, um, I, I always wondered, is it, I hear both sides of the coin. In fact, I just sold my house and bought a new construction uh, two years ago. And I've heard some realtors say that you should have the house empty because it makes it look larger. Mm -hmm. I've heard other realtors say, no, you should stage it. I could see both sides of the coin. Share your opinion on it. Bo both sides of the coin are correct, in fact. Um, if you have a house with very dated furniture, I would like to politely tell my <laughs> clients to just empty is better. If you have someone who is, has a very good taste and very expensive, nice furniture, a stage house is technically the best. So in my opinion, to go stage house is number one with good furniture. Mm -hmm. Empty is number two, and they're 100% correct. It makes the place look larger. And then a cluttered house is by far the worst. So, sure. Um, sure. Another thing that, that I've been getting into a lot uh, more recently is uh, virtual staging. And what that basically means is if a house is empty, so let's say it's an investment or a flip or someone already moved out, it's completely empty. 
um, I hire a company to then take that, those photos. Well, first they take the photos, then they edit the photos and put in very tasteful, modern furniture that meets today's standards. Uh, and the homes look incredible. I mean, so, so they kind of Photoshop it? They Photoshop it, yeah. Oh, exactly. interesting. Yeah. And if you look at the photos, you have no idea. You don't know they're virtually staged. They look stunning, like out of a magazine, which if you were to hire a staging company to make your home look like that, you're talking thousands and of thousands course. of dollars. When I do my virtual staging, $35 a photo. Really? Yes. It's, so, it's so how much does price. staging cost? Staging costs anywhere from, I mean, about as low as two to five to the sky's the limit, depending on how big your house is, how many rooms you want to stage, and how long. And how long? Yeah, usually the ninety-day contract. So you have thirty, you have uh, three months to, to sell the house, and if you don't sell it, then you have to. So I could see it as there. There's a cost to do it, mm -hmm. and then there's basically a rental cost of the furniture. Yep. Every month. So, yep. so when they do the staging, if it's ninety days and I sell it in thirty. Yeah. I still pay my 90 days, right? Correct. Right. And to add one more level on that, um, a lot of times when I'm meeting with sellers to sell their house, they ask me how much I can get for the house. The first thing I do is I look up comparables, and I see what the house is worth, and I see what the maximum value of that home is, because you're only worth what your, your comparables are worth. So even You're only if, worth what somebody will pay for. Well, very true. <laughs> but, but you can only, unless you have a cash buyer or someone willing to overpay, the bank will only lend you what the appraised value is. Right, that's correct. At. So you have someone who doesn't have a ton of money, they can only buy the house for what the value is worth. So when people spend money on things like staging in a seller's market, it's a waste. It's right. essentially a waste because you're going to sell that house for the top of its value, staging or not, because that's the market we're in. Flip to a buyer's market, whole different world. But right now in a seller's market. So I see people doing for sale by owner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they say, oh, well, I'm going to save mm -hmm. 6% mm -hmm. and I'm now going to be able to either get a better price or share with. But when they do that, they can't list it on the MLS, can they? They, they cannot list it on the actual <clears throat> MLS. They can list it on sites like Zillow and other random sites. Um, and what a lot of those people don't understand is there's um, most times they shoot themselves in the foot. Um, of course I'm not I'm surprised. Gonna, of course I'm going to say that because I'm a real estate agent. But honestly, I've done a lot of research on the fact. And if you look up statistics, you actually make less money for selling it by owner for multiple reasons. One, you already have to pay a buyer's agent. So unless you find a buyer. You do have to. Wait, wait, wait. You, so in other words, if I were to sell my house by owner mm -hmm. and you were bringing someone in mm -hmm. <clears throat> to buy my house, yep. I still have to pay you. Correct. So I'm only saving 3%, not 6 Correct. Correct, exactly. And then on the same token, you then have to hire an attorney to review the paperwork, unless you just trust the buyer's agent, which is representing the other client. Right, of course. So then you have to pay an attorney a couple thousand dollars. So the realistic savings at the end of the day are really not much, and I cannot tell you how many times I have brought a buyer to a for sale by owner, and they end up pricing their house 20, 30, 40. I had a deal, a realtor on my team one month ago, his client bought a house for sale by owner and it overpraised by $60,000. So because that person decided to try to save a couple thousand dollars and not hire a realtor, they lost $60,000 in value. Right. It's too, big, saved, it's yeah. too big of a sale to just wing it. It really is. Yeah, penny wise, dollar foolish. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and see, this is where, that's where I agree, is it doesn't matter whether it's an accountant, a realtor, uh, an attorney, a mm -hmm. financial advisor. Uh, I, I am a believer in the consultants bring a lot of value Absolutely. to the table. You bring up attorney, I actually use that example a lot. It's like if you don't want to hire a realtor you, and you're going to go on, on, on trial, unrepresented. You have no one in your corner that's supporting you and you're potentially going against someone who's clearly going against of you. Course. Going to win of course. Of course. You know what I mean? Of course. And that and goes from everything down to, you know, negotiations and all the all the stuff required to get the deal done. If something goes wrong, how to solve those problems, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I can I can absolutely see that. So, I think you said that you manage a team of people over where you are. I do. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm a realty. I'm a uh, 
<laughs> kind unofficial, officially the number two man there. Um, I was the fourth employee to start the company. I think we're up to like 25 people now. And uh, I got uh, a friend of mine a job. And my broker decided that she's going to have me train, mentor, in, in, and like kind of take care of the individual. So since then, I started recruiting, hiring, and mentoring other realtors. And now okay. I have 15 agents that work wow. for me, with me, under me, whatever you want to call it, nice. alongside of me, I like to say. Um, and we work together as a team very knit. Uh, very tight and it's one of my favorite parts about my particular company because you're not hiring one of me you're hiring 16 of me me and my team right so right this minute a client asked me to see a house literally at like this time of day to see a house and I'm here so I couldn't do it so I have someone on my team showing a house for me that's and great that helps take care of my client I don't have to tell them now let's do it tomorrow and they potentially lose the house it's 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 huge so I understand what it's like to be number two. I'm number two in my household, too. <laughs> number three, if we count the pet. Yep, okay. Yep, so we know how that works. So yep. is the, the woman who leads the agency, is she looking at you as a business succession type? Actually, yes. I'm not even sure if I told you that, but that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, Good. She, she told me about six months ago she has a two-year retirement plan, and I'll be taking over the company in two years. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know what? That's, there's, wow. That's, you know what? That is a topic in and of itself because of the, the, the whole concept of business continuity plan and everything else, which you and I can have this discussion just for. So what else do you want to share about the real estate market that I haven't asked you? I mean, you know it a heck of a lot better than I do. <laughs> um, the biggest thing I'll say about the real estate market is, is as crazy as it is and has, I have buyers losing countless deals from multiple offers right. and it's overwhelming and it's scary. It's still, in my opinion, a fantastic time to buy. I am buying everything I can right now because I want to get locked into those low interest rates. Right. Even if I'm paying $10,000 more than the house is worth, I'm okay with that. Because if I were to pay $10,000 less at a much higher interest rate, my monthly payment is going to be substantially higher. When right. the monthly payment is everything that matters to me, whether it's a vacation home or an investment property or even my personal home, that is what is important to me and should be to most people. You should look at the payment, not necessarily the actual dollar amount of the property. Um, so my, my biggest advice is don't be afraid Hang in there, um, and you know, just keep wait till you find the one that you, you, until you find the one that, that's perfect right. for you. Understandable. You know, one of the things I can tell you when I bought my first house, I think I was 27, 28. Um, one of the things that that I would encourage folks who are looking to buy a house and is understand what they can afford first because I recall that they said, oh, you can afford this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you think mm -hmm. I can afford this, but I can't really afford that. Because what you don't want to have happen is somebody go into a house and all of a sudden find themselves you know, house poor, struggling mm -hmm. to be able to put food oh, yeah. on a table or whatever the case may be. Do you take the time to work with your clients to make sure that they're not overbuying? Yeah, you nailed it, actually. And, and people overbuying, again, was one of the major things to lead to the 08 collapse. It was people maxing out their, um, their qualifications. I cannot tell you how many times people call me and they say, Dave, I'm qualified for $700,000. You don't want to buy a $700,000 house. Right. So you want to buy what's comfortable for you. So every time people ask me about getting pre-approved or what can they afford, I say it doesn't matter. What is comfortable for you? Right. You use a number that is good for you. So one of the tricks I often use with my clients is I say, well, what are you paying for right now? I say I pay $2,000 a month right now. And give me a ballpark of what you think you want to pay a month. Let's say I want to pay $3,000 a month. Take 500 bucks a month. I'm sorry, 500 bucks a pay. Put it in your in a savings account. We'll live like that for six months. It'll do two things. You'll save an extra $6,000, or, or I'm sorry, $12,000. And um, if you can live life comfortably and still go out and enjoy your life, then you know that then you are you ready for it. $3,000. Right, no, that's a great idea. It, does, it, it really does do two things. It kills two birds with one stone. That's absolutely a terrific idea. And, you know, in fact, I do the same thing for people approaching retirement. And, you know, can I retire 
I always say for the first several years before you actually retire, you really need to understand what your cost of living is before you make that move because it's not that it's irreversible, but it's close to irreversible. Yeah, sure. I mean, because the thing is, is there's such a cost to buy a house, yeah. you know, and it's, and I always say it's 10% because when you buy a house, you're only going to pay the 1% transfer tax. Mm -hmm. But when you sell the house, you're paying the 6% realtor plus the 1%. And then any closing costs, you basically need a 10% appreciation in the value yeah. of the home. Yep. To break even. Mm -hmm. So I've actually had clients say, well, you know, I'm looking to buy a house. I'm like, well, how long do you think you're going to live here? Well, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of years, they're going to move. I'm like, what are you, nuts? Yeah. You know, so hopefully you take that into account when you're working with the clients. Absolutely, yeah. I actually had a client just this year who we went back and forth with numbers for several weeks because he wanted to rent, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to rent or buy. And we were kind of playing with the numbers, and he did a whole break-even point. Like, how many years am I going to stay here? You know, are you going to buy a house that needs some, some fixing up so you can add value that way? And we really played with the numbers to see what made the most sense for him. And his ultimate goal was he's going to stay in the house for between 7 and 10 years. And we decided mathematically, um, very analytical individual, mathematically exactly how many months based on average market growth he should stay there <laughs> for it to work out. And he actually bought in like January. So he's probably already well surpassed with the amount of values that have gone up this year. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. We've had a great, a great market, mm -hmm. a great market for you, probably running your tail off yeah. for the last year yeah. or at least certainly since COVID's not over, but since they allowed you to begin showing sure. homes. Yeah, yeah, it's been chaos. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, Dave, you know what? It's been great. Believe it or not, the show's wrapped up already. <laughs> so what I'd like to do, if you could, um, tell the viewers, you've been a great guest, Thank very you. informative, and I appreciate that. That's exactly appreciate what I'm seeking me. on my show. Um, take a second, look into the camera, and tell the viewers how they can reach you. Sure. Yeah. So again, as you know, my name is Dave Carey. I work for Salomon Realty in Ben Salem. Um, if, you, if you know anybody looking to buy or uh, sell a house, I also do property management. Um, feel free to contact me via phone call, via text, via email. You can go to the website. Phone number is 215-478-2870. My email is dave at Salomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N, realty.com, or uh, the website is SalomonRealty.com, and I'd be happy to help with anything. Also, another thing, as we mentioned earlier, I do do uh, recruiting, mentoring, and training. So if anyone's looking for a new employment opportunity with possibly bigger commission splits or a more team atmosphere in the uh, southeast Pennsylvania area, I'd love to help with that as well. Great. Dave, My thank name. you very much. Thank you. It was a great show. So as I indicated, buying a house may be the single largest investment that most people will do during the course of their lifetime. The real estate market has been absolutely crazy as evidenced by what Dave was saying. And I think we're all seeing it. You know, anybody who knows that they're either selling a house, you know, good for them, or if they're buying a house, unfortunately for them, they're having many, many times where, you know, they lose out, they lose out. But also what Dave said, which I concur with entirely, is the real estate market is not necessarily overpriced per se. The overpricing of the market is basically because the interest rates support it. So at the end of the day, you're able to afford a greater mortgage because of the fact that the interest rates are at, you know, I don't know about all-time lows, but certainly all-time during my lifetime. So with that, it's just very important to understand, you know, do not be afraid if you feel as though you might be overpaying, but absolutely what Dave said, and I strongly support it. If this is the first time you're buying a home, I really think that you need to spend some time reviewing your finances, understanding your finances, and making sure that you can afford to buy the home. Similarly, you wouldn't want to just buy a home if you think you're only going to be there for a few years because remember you need a 10% appreciation in the value of your home in order to just break even 
Plus, if there's any job instability, then you really ought to be thinking hard about buying a home because a home is like putting a ball and chain on your ankle. Because if you do receive a decent job offer and it's in a different state or far away, you're either going to find yourself making a commute that you're not going to be happy with or you're going to find yourself having to move. So lots to talk about the real estate market. I think this is great. Um, our next guest, uh, next week's episode, will be talking about mortgages. Imagine that. So if you're going to buy a house, guess what you're probably going to need? You're probably going to need a mortgage. So thank you very much for tuning in, Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, and I look forward to seeing you. I hope everybody learned something, and have a great day.